when a person is sick, normally their white blood count, for those of you who don't know, usually goes up. However, in Troy's case, they were dropping because the infection in his body was so fast-moving and devastating that his whole body began to shut down. Troy's kidneys were failing, his heart was failing, his lungs were failing, and he was in trouble. Elise and her parents uh, arrived at the hospital to this report from the doctor. I want you to know that your son is very, very, very sick. He has meningococcal sepsis. This airborne bacterium has gotten into his blood and spread exponentially. The toxins and the poisons from the bacteria have affected every organ in his body. His white blood count fell to 2,300, indicating that his body was being overwhelmed and not able to resist the disease. His kidneys shut down yesterday. The lesions that you see were caused by body, the body leaking fluids. He's also hemorrhaging on the inside of his body with lesions on his organs and muscles. Because the body lost much fluid quickly, Troy's blood pressure went down to almost nothing as there was not sufficient blood to pump. His heart muscles have weakened and his valves are leaking. We are trying to get his blood pressure up. The oxygen level in his blood is very low and his breathing is very labored because his lungs are filling with fluid. Your son is very, very, very sick. He said, this is a devastating disease that affects all the organs of the body. We can treat the bacteria with antibiotics, but we cannot do anything about his kidneys, his heart, his lungs, his liver, his brain, or the other organs of his body. If we do everything right, there is a 50-50 chance of survival, and even then likely permanent damage. Your son is very, very, very sick. Elise describes what happens next like this. Even with the best medical care available, Troy needed a miraculous touch from God. We began praying from, that, from the moment we heard of Troy's illness, and we prayed continually throughout the week. Through every report, good or bad, we prayed. We prayed in the Spirit, and we prayed with understanding. We stood on the promises of God's Word. Over the next seven days, Elise and her family and, and many, 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 Many people around the globe were praying for Troy's healing. And on Easter Sunday, it came. Again, as Elise describes it, she says, We gathered around Troy's bed and began to pray in the Spirit. As we started to pray without any forethought on our part, we began to rebuke the disease that was afflicting Troy in Jesus' name. Our voices began to rise in a crescendo of prayer. Then a great anointing and authority came on Pastor Greg Alex. He said, I call to the strong man, in the name of Jesus, loose your hold now. Come out of him in Jesus' name. A great power came into the room. We knew we were in the presence of the one with all authority. All of a sudden, we felt the suppressing force leave. We knew it was gone. We knew that the evil power of this disease was defeated and had departed. We began to praise and worship God. We lifted our hands and spoke out our praise as we thank God for Troy's deliverance. 
The, five, the high fever that had plagued Troy left him. From that moment on, Troy began to heal. The damage to his organs began to reverse. It was not instantaneous, it was progressive. But from that moment on, for the first time, he began to get better and not worse. He was soon moved out of intensive care and into a regular hospital room, and in eight days left the hospital for good. The day before he was discharged, the doctor stood over his bed and said, Troy, you're an absolute miracle. I think an important addendum to the story is that two weeks later, Troy and his dad went back to the hospital to thank the nurses for what they did. And as they walked past the room that was next to Troy's, the, the patient who was in there when Troy was there was still there. And when the patient saw Troy, he said, man, I can't believe you're walking. I thought you were a goner. Well, they began to tell him the story of what had taken place, about how Troy was healed. And the, uh, the man who was Troy's neighbor said, I know when you received your miracle. It was Sunday night on Easter Sunday. We heard you singing and praying. And then we felt the power coming through the wall from the room you were in. It was as if the room was shaking. The spring of 2011 begins another story for me. This one starts when I received a call from, from my mom as I was walking through a grocery store in Wauwatosa. I could tell by her voice uh, that the news she had wasn't good. Um, my mom was the type of person who never wanted her kids to be afraid, never wanted us to doubt, never wanted us to be in fear. And so whenever there was bad news to be told, you could always tell in her voice because she was trying to make it less scary. I could tell she was trying to be extra reassuring. She called and said that she had just gotten back from the doctor, that she had had a pimple on her skin, and she told me that in her vanity she decided to go to a dermatologist. The dermatologist took a, took a sample of that pimple and found it to be cancerous. My mom had had two previous battles with breast cancer in her life, and this signaled her third battle. Uh, the doctors gave her uh, 12 months to live. And that report began about a six-year battle in prayer for my mom's healing. Uh, I think I can say with complete confidence that there probably wasn't a day in those six years that my mom wasn't lifted up in prayer for healing. Um, we laid hands on her. We anointed her with oil. We prayed um, confidently. We prayed humbly. We prayed loudly. We prayed silently. And this story ends in a hospice care room on August 12th, 2017, with my mom fading from this world into the next, as my wife quietly sang a hymn to her. 
Today we're continuing our series studying the book of John. Uh, And as I've said all along, the great value of the book of John is how it introduces us to the most important topic we could ever study, and that's Jesus Christ. But specifically, in the book of John, this week and next week, we are going to be looking at Jesus Christ as healer. And what that sto- the stories about Jesus teach us about him as healer. And even as we begin, I, I want you to know something. I don't consider myself an expert in healing. In fact, as I talk about this, I really do approach it with some trepidation. Because I can't say with confidence that I think I have all the answers. But on some level, I think that's the approach we should take. That at some level, we need to understand that the mystery of God in power, the mystery of God as healer, is in many ways just that, a mystery. It's so beyond our norm, it's so beyond our basic understanding that we need to acknowledge that in the sovereignty of God, he moves as he moves. So maybe it's appropriate I start this morning by telling you something that I don't know. I don't know why sometimes Jesus heals. And why sometimes he doesn't. As I have over the years pondered the two stories I just told you, I still don't know what the impetus was for Troy's healing. And I don't know why my mom wasn't healed. I think there are those in the, in the Christian world that like to claim that they know. They know why. They know what the difference was. They know what the failing was. They know what caused the healing to take place. But I'm going to tell you, in spite of reading the books and hearing the sermons and, and looking at the blog posts, After years and years and years, I can tell you, they don't know. I don't think any of them has found a a good answer. I think what I know is this, is that God is the sovereign God. And that God aims to reveal his glory, to, to show his majesty, that the reason, the purpose that God interacts with us is to show us who he is. And he does this graciously, mercifully, in concert with broken humans. And so he strives to reveal himself to show himself, all of who he is. But for now, we look through a glass darkly. Now we know in part. But someday we will fully know. And so when I come to the question of the miracles of God, the the healing touch of Jesus Christ, I don't know why sometimes he heals. And why sometimes he doesn't. But even in the declaration, even the acknowledgement of my lack of knowledge there, 
it tells us something important. It shows us something really important. And it's this, that he does heal. In the, in the reality that I don't, know, I don't know why he heals in some situations and why he doesn't heal in other situations, what I am acknowledging is the fact that Jesus Christ still heals. Within his sovereignty, within, within his work, within, within his plan, he still heals. And I really think it's important for us as Christians to understand that Jesus Christ is a healer and he is continuing to heal. Jesus is a healer. And the story we read today and the story we will read next week, they begin to reveal important truths about the nature of Christ as healer. And this morning's text specifically begins to reveal to us how we need to be interacting with Jesus as that healer. One of the things I've said all throughout the, 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 the study of the book of John is what I love about the book of John is not only that it reveals who Jesus Christ is, it begins to teach us how we should be interacting with that Jesus. And so as we come to this story, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is a healer. The, 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 the member of the royal court came to him with a son that was sick and was dying. And Jesus, in speaking the word, not even going there, not even laying hands on him, but in speaking the word, he was healed. Jesus is a healer. But what's interesting about this story, and I think what, what, for particularly for us, that we draw from this, needs to be how the people around him responded, interacted with him as healer. Because the truth is, I think it gives us a strong warning as we approach this question. He is a healer. How do we respond to that reality? After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. Now you have to stop there. Because what I just read is something that is fascinating. It, it, it's, it's actually very challenging if you choose to understand and read the words and really kind of bring them in. Jesus was from Galilee, you know that? He was a Galilean. It says here that Jesus went back to Galilee, and then John quotes Jesus. He says, he said, we went back to Galilee because Jesus even said that a prophet is not accepted in his own hometown. Follow me so far? So he, he, he pulls out this quote. He quotes Jesus, who's actually, who's actually quoting the Old Testament. And he says, a prophet is, 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 is rejected in his own town. is not received in his own town. So Jesus the Galilean goes back to Galilee. John says, a prophet is not, not accepted where he's at. And then what does it say the Galileans do when Jesus shows up? They welcomed him. They honored him. Anyone see how that seems incongruent? John's saying something here. And either he's trolling Jesus, 
Like, Jesus says this, but <laughs> they actually welcomed him. Or he's trying to get us to understand something important about the total story. He's trying to lay, lay some groundwork for us to understand a little bit more deeply what this story is ultimately really about. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now this is where we begin to understand what the story really is about. First of all, what you have to understand is the language that's been used there. He says, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now the word there translated you is kind of, um, uh, it can be interpreted as, as Jesus having a conversation only in, 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 and strictly with that official. But that's not really what it says. In the, in the, in the original language, it's really like you all. Y'all, y'all, don't, y'all aren't going to believe unless you see signs, unless you see wonders. You're not going to accept, you're not going to receive the truth unless you see signs. Ultimately, what Jesus Christ is doing here is he's not, he's not simply re- re- rebuking that, that official. He's explaining the, the, the nature, the, the, the status of the hearts of the Galileans, of those who are from his land, what they really are looking for, what they really care about. He's saying all you guys really care about is signs and wonders. This is, what he's saying here is that there is an acceptance that isn't really an acceptance, that there is a belief that really isn't a belief, that there is a receiving that isn't really a receiving. John Piper explains it like this. He says, he goes to Galilee, his own people, because he expects no honor there. Now, verse 45, so therefore, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. This isn't what we expect. They're supposed to dishonor him according to the verse. How can John say a prophet has no honor in his own hometown? Therefore, they welcomed him. The answer is that the welcome, the reception, is not what it looks like on the outside. There is a kind of receiving Jesus that has no true honor for the person in it. It's just an interest in signs and wonders. I believe herein lies one of the greatest spiritual pitfalls to anyone's approach to Jesus Christ as healer. What we've just defined, what we've just decided as we look in this passage and we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we've come to the resolution that Jesus Christ is healer. That he does heal. And the question that's laid out before us is how do we respond to Jesus Christ as healer? 
And what I think that is being taught here, I think what is being, what, what, what is being impressed upon us here is that there is a way in which you can respond to Jesus Christ as healer that ultimately has no spiritual value for you at all. And this is a dangerous pitfall that many of us can fall into. As I see it, there's essentially three ways in which you approach Jesus as healer. The first is to deny that Jesus is a healer. Many people will never accept Jesus Christ as a healer. We've all kind of run into that. We've all kind of seen that. And, and, and the truth is this is, a, this is a fascinatingly consistent reality. Everyone comes and says, that's, that's, not, that's not real. That doesn't really happen. That isn't what's taking place. I mean, we see it all the way back 2,000 years ago in the ministry of Jesus, right? Like, like Jesus, remember when Jesus healed the man who was blind since birth? Now, th- this is a guy that everybody knew. This is a guy that everyone saw. This is a guy who was out there, and, and he was begging on a regular basis. Everybody knew the guy. And Jesus takes mud, spits in the dirt, takes the mud, puts it on his eyes. The guy begins to see. And, and, then, and then, like, all of a sudden, all these people who don't like Jesus, who don't want to receive Jesus, don't want to accept Jesus, they're like, they're like wait a minute, that's not the same guy, right? And, and, the, and then the guy, the, guy, the guy comes and they've given his testimony, and they're like, they're like, they're like How, what, what happened? How did this happen? Well, Jesus healed me. Oh, stop lying. That's not true. Right? It's this ongoing denial of it. Or, or when Jesus did something, it was not just even denial, it was deflecting. It was like, it was like oh, well, that's not, that's not of God. Cast the demon out of the guy, and they're like, well, he's actually of demons, so that makes sense that he would do something like that. See, we, we, we find people on a regular basis denying the fact that Jesus continues to heal. And in so doing, you're denying a portion, a part of who Jesus Christ is. Now, this makes sense for those who don't know Jesus, don't want to know Jesus, don't have any interest in Jesus. But it is fascinatingly um, um, common amongst those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ that Jesus doesn't heal. I had a conversation with someone just the other day. It was just a few weeks ago, and it was just like consistent. I've had this conversation, I can't tell you how many times. I began to recount to them some, some, some uh, goings-ons that have been happening here at our church, is how God has been moving and God has been healing people. And, and you give the story, you give the testimony of, of the fact that somebody was sick, they came to church, people laid hands on them, prayed in the name of Jesus Christ, they go to the doctors, and whatever was there before is not there now. This is, I'm not, I can tell you, I can introduce you to people in this room where God has done this. Okay? God has done this consistently. I've seen God do this. And every single time, people are like, well, I, I you know. <laughs> my, my favorite one, my favorite one, and this is consistent, my favorite one is, well, you know, the mind can do amazing things. The mind can make cancer tumors disappear. 
Like you just have to convince somebody to make that disappear. We should be working on that instead of things like chemotherapy, right? If all it takes is getting people just to think away something. Now the person came to church, they laid hands on, we prayed for them, it disappeared. But it wasn't God. It wasn't Jesus' healer. It was their mind thought it away. There are those who will just consistently deny that Jesus is healer. And that's a really dangerous thing to do. But see, when you deny Jesus in his entirety, denying a portion of him doesn't really matter. You're denying Jesus. But when we as Christians say we accept Christ, believe in Christ, we need to receive all of Christ. Jesus is a healer. Don't ever put yourself in the camp where you deny the fact that Jesus heals. The second pitfall I think we can fall into in our approach to Jesus is I think ultimately the one we see demonstrated here, which is we don't deny that he's a healer. In fact, in many ways, we go the other way in that, in that we seek only the healing. And this is what I, I believe is being expressed in this story today. The Galileans um, believed for the show. They, they loved the fact that one of their own was doing these incredible things. And so their, their focus, their ideas, their identity, their everything was about Jesus the healer. Jesus the miracle worker. Jesus the one who did the magnificent. And what you find in that is all you're doing is receiving a portion of who Jesus is without knowing and loving and seeking all of who he is. You see, Jesus is simply the, the means by which you are physically healed. As Spurgeon said, there is a craving for miracles that is a symptom of the sickly condition of men's minds in our Lord's day. They refuse solid nourishment and long for mere wonders. The gospel they so desperately needed they would not receive. This is a concern I believe in the church, I believe is a concern for many in the church today. That all we do is seek the hand of God. What can you give me? I'm in a difficult situation, I'm in a difficult way, I'm going to come to Jesus so that he makes it easier and better for me. All we want is the miracle. So we turn to Jesus only for the miracle. It's simply all about the supernatural blessings of God. And I really believe that this approach has a devastating effect on Christian faith. First of all, I think it has a devastating effect in a corporate faith sense. 
This approach pushes people away from Jesus, the healer, because they, they see, the, see bad Christianity associated with this approach. In other words, in other words, there's, there's this whole like crew of people within Christianity that don't really care about anything other than the thrill. That don't really seek anything other than the next miraculous deal. And so many people in the church see that and realize that's bad theology. That's bad Christianity. That's just, that's hyper-charismaticism. I don't think that's actually a word, but... Right? And, and so what they do is they go, that's terrible, that's awful. And they begin to tell story after story after story after story about the excesses of those people who are in that place. And so we begin to deny the fact that Jesus Christ is healer still. And we try and relegate it into a time in the past that isn't for today. And the truth is, that creates really bad Christianity too. Let me tell you something. The worst theology you can ever embrace is reflective theology. Because their theology is bad, I'm going to go the exact opposite way. The reality is you have to come into this understanding and realize Jesus Christ is healer. And because other people get it wrong doesn't mean we can't get it right. So I really think that when we, when we, when we begin to, to overemphasize this aspect of who Jesus Christ is and we make it about Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, about him simply as healer, we begin to, to sow into the Christian faith something that's really bad. But there is a, a more personally devastating effect in simply seeking the healing as the foundation of our Christian faith. And, and honestly, you can barely call it Christian faith when what it's all about is what I get from Jesus. See, see, Christian faith is ultimately coming to the understanding that there is a God and Heavenly Father who sent his Son to this earth and therefore he, he deserves my devotion. He deserves my life. I serve a living, risen Savior. He is my Savior and he's my Lord and I serve him. The problem is most people who only turn to Jesus because they want the miracle, because they want the healing, see Jesus as serving them. What do I get from him? What does he give me? And in that way, you can barely be called Christianity, to be honest with you. And the reason ultimately it ends up being really devastating is because then when Jesus is the healer, Jesus as only the healer, Jesus as completely the healer in my life, doesn't heal, what happens to people's faith? Walks away. Because he wasn't that, that healer. Understanding who Jesus is in his totality and receiving all we have can receive from him is what we as Christians need to understand. This is why to this day, every single one of my mom's children still serve Jesus. Because we understood that her faith in Christ wasn't simply so that the cancer would go away, and we understood that our faith in Jesus Christ wasn't simply so that we could, we could rub a lamp and have him give us what we want, that his faith 
that our faith in Jesus Christ was rooted in the totality of who he is. And we saw it manifested in my mom's life, even as she walked through cancer and died from cancer. Because the totality of Jesus Christ is more than simply healer. And that's ultimately the right approach to Jesus as healer. It's to believe in the Savior who heals. To embrace the truth about the one who is the healer. That healing is a part of who he is. Healing is a part of the aspect of Jesus Christ. But there is so much more that he is trying to reveal about his nature in his healing acts. That it is about bringing you closer to the nature of who he is, understanding more deeply what he is about, bringing you to the place of realizing he is your savior. He is your Lord. The healing is about revealing the healer. The healing ultimately is incidental to our faith because our faith isn't what he does for us in making our life more comfortable. Our faith is in the totality of who he is in bringing us to salvation, in showing us love and forgiveness and mercy and grace, pulling us out of our sinfulness and bringing us to a place in which we stand in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. The healing is about revealing the sovereign nature of our God. The fact that, 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 that he has sovereignty over all things. He wants us to understand that he's on the throne. And so when he decides to break in in these miraculous ways, he's testifying to the fact that every knee shall bow. That, that every sickness is, is at his command. That every power can be overcome by the hand of God. It's not about simply making your life more comfortable. It's about him showing to you the power he has over all things. It's about showing you how merciful he is. That even in your circumstance, even in your situation, that is temporal, that is for a moment that is nothing in light of eternity, he still cares about that moment and he intimately cares about your moment. He does this to reveal to you so much about who he is. It's not about the thing. It's about the majesty of a savior who came to live in relationship with you so that you might know him and serve him and love him. It's not about our comfort and ease. It's about his revelation. And when we are earnest in our belief in him, not faith in our healing, but belief in him, we can live in that belief and we learn about him. And that ultimately is the greatest gift we will ever receive. There's a lot of you in this room who knew my mom and knew the walk she had with Jesus Christ through her cancer. We've shown her testimony here at church 
a number of times and where she said that she thanked God for the cancer she was fighting because it taught her things about Jesus she never would have learned. And I can stand here and I can testify to that, the truth of that declaration, that truth of that statement. Although she lived her, life, her entire life in faith in Jesus Christ from the moment she came to know him to the moment she died. It wasn't until the last four or five years that I really began to see the peace she had in Jesus Christ. An intimacy that she had never experienced before. Because even in the hard times, God can reveal himself to us in the most important ways. In our weakness, his power is manifested. You can consider the way the Galileans responded to the way the Samaritans responded. If you remember the end of the story of the woman at the well, ends with this declaration. They said, we no longer believe because of your testimony, but we believe because of what he has taught us and that he is the savior of all people. Galileans believed for miracles. Samaritans believed in a savior. The starting point for every Christian should not be how we should figure out a formula to get what we want. But the starting point for every Christian should be Jesus, teach me more about you. Help me know you more deeply. And whatever the circumstances I find myself, teach me about you. Teach me about you as healer. Teach me about you as provider. Teach me about you as sustainer. Show me all aspects of you as my Savior. Believe in him as Savior. And in that, sometimes he will heal. And sometimes he will sustain. But in all times, he will be God if we yield to him. The greatest work Jesus Christ ever did was come to save us. The greatest miracle he ever performed was the miracle he performed on that cross. That those of us who are naked and lame and broken in our sin were healed and made whole by the cross of Jesus Christ. By those stripes, we are healed. Heavenly Father,